Hello and welcome to Inclusion Insights, a podcast brought to you by Voice at the Table, your diversity and inclusion partners. In each episode, we share with you our latest tips and insights into how you can be more inclusive. Because remember, diversity is only half the story. Inclusion is what brings diversity to life. So join our episode today with your host, Voice at the Table editor, Melissa Jackson, and today's guest, founder and CEO of Voice at the Table, Rena Goldenberg-Lynch. Hi, I'm Melissa, your host for Voice at the Table's podcasts called Inclusion Insights. In this second series, we'll be looking at inclusive behaviours, what they are, how they help us become more inclusive, and how to get better at them. We'll be covering the topics of humility and vulnerability, valuing difference, use of language and speaking out. My guest today and for the rest of this series is Voice at the Table founder and CEO, Rena Goldenberg-Lynch. Hello, Rena. Hi, Melissa. As with our previous podcasts, we'll be discussing how diversity and inclusion are the foundations for improving the way we work together. Rena, can you have one without the other? Not really. We need an inclusive culture in order to invite diversity. And that's what this program is about, how to create a more inclusive team and work culture. In this series, we're focusing on the second four, the ones we call the diversity behaviours. These are behaviours that help us invite difference into our lives and our teams at work. Today is use of language. Serena, what do we mean by use of language? Well, the use of language is how we speak to each other and the, the words that we choose in order to make sure that people feel included. And, oh my goodness, do words matter? I don't need to say anything about that, do I? We know words matter. Why is it so important in the field of diversity and inclusion? Because it's so easy to say something completely benign, completely unintentional, that makes the other person feels, feel unvalued or unwelcomed. It's been said that words alone can activate our pain matrix from physical to psychological pain. Do you think that's true? Yes, apparently there's quite a lot of research that shows that when words uh, that describe pain, like anguish or excruciating, um, are registered in our in, in the same part of the brain that experiences physical pain. And apparently... Some words, some of these kind of pains we experience or impose with words even cause invisible scars that outlast um, the, the, the healing time of broken bones and cuts even. Mm, that sounds quite scary. It's sort of internalised and then you keep that with you presumably for a long time. Very long time. One of the things I've heard a lot about, and we use banter quite a lot of the time, just in informal situations to have a chat and it's all meant to be quite light-hearted but some somewhere I've heard along the lines that banter is bullying have you heard this it can be it certainly can be because banter sometimes include insight jokes or cultural jokes or sometimes racist jokes ageist jokes sexist jokes all of that can in fact be bullying of course how do we know What's acceptable language and what isn't? Some people are more sensitive than others and those who've experienced cultural prejudice or discrimination may be more easily hurt by negative language. 
Well, absolutely. So we can't always tell. We just have to be very careful because, as you say, context is very important. A person, an educated white man who went to university is going to be uh, not as easily wounded by words as, as, as a woman from a different religion who looks different to the majority, who has obviously also potentially suffered quite a lot of discrimination. She's going to be much more sensitive about words and we it's up to us to know to know that and to adjust our language accordingly and we know there are certain words and phrases that should never be used and should be challenged but can you just give us some examples well the classic one is to ask the question where are you from which so easily done and I used to ask that question all the time because of course it's all about the curiosity we want to know more about this person so we want to ask them but it's, it's not a good idea to ask that question because you don't know how it can land. Certainly, somewhere in the back of our mind, when, when we're being asked, where are you from, we think, oh, they don't think we're from here or they don't think we belong. And that's the repercussion of those words. And I'm going to throw something into the conversation here because I remember uh, when Prince Harry first day started dating Meghan Markle, and she was described in one newspaper as exotic. Mm. And this was only four years ago. And, and yet the journalist who wrote it said she wouldn't be able to, do, to use that term today because it would be called out as inappropriate. I mean, I guess this is a good example of how labels are pejorative, be they ages, sexist, racist, etc. Uh, and sometimes we make such comments in good faith, like she looks good for her age. <laughs> such a comment could be deemed ages and possibly sexist. Absolutely. There's so many words like that. Words like guys and mankind and history. These are all gender terms and we have to be very careful about who they might offend. There are, of course, alternatives. We just need to think about a little bit deeper to find the right terms to replace them. So mankind, humankind, that's an easy one. Chairperson rather than chairman or woman. Guys, this is the one that everybody falters on, including myself. People, folks, team, hi all. (laughs) I haven't landed on a term that is quite as comfortable as guys, but it's one that needs to be eradicated soon. (laughs) I think you need to write a handbook on this, Rena. Yeah, yeah. There's lots written already. I'm not sure I have much to contribute. I think the main thing really is to think about what we're saying and to understand the words that we use. And also language is evolving and changing. I think the rate of about 2% every year. So hopefully we will get used to better terms um, uh, and, you know, less, fewer gendered terms, should we say, um, and moving on in the right direction and being inclusive. Absolutely. I think, like anything else, I mean, even when I listen to my 15-year-old son, I realise that he speaks sometimes a completely different language from my own. So yes, language does move. We just need to be, we just need to move with it. It's clear then that we need to become more mindful of how we use language, but how do we do this without it becoming a huge amount of effort? Well, there is no way around it, unfortunately. It is a lot of effort. I think the only thing we can always do is try to be sensible about it and to be aware of our words and potential consequences. Um, That's as as 
well as we can do, we also have to acknowledge the fact that we're going to be making mistakes, a lot of mistakes along the way, and that's fine. And sometimes we'll realize that we've made a mistake after we've made it, and that's okay. In that case, we could apologize and move on and learn from it, not take it personally. Well, that leads to my next question, really. So should we self-correct when we get it wrong? Conversely, if we're on the receiving end, should we call it out? Mm, difficult one. Self-correct, I think, is useful. I think the more we self-correct ourselves, the better we get at it. We, we then eventually start self-correcting before we speak. Calling out is also helpful, but it needs to be in an agreed manner. So what we talk about in at um, uh, companies and with our clients is establishing a set of rules. We call them the rules of engagement within teams of how people might call each other out in a way that avoids blame and avoids putting somebody out, making them feel like an idiot, which is easily done. So rules of engagement of how to call each other out is the way around that. What's the impact of using correct language um, in the workplace? It's immense. The impact is making people feel included. It's so easy to say something that makes even one person feel like an outsider. But when you do that, you're really diminishing that person's contribution across the entire um, uh, work experience. And we don't want to do that. They're there for a reason. So the sooner you can start using inclusive language, the sooner you'll be able to make more of the people who are there. So I would like to introduce uh, a leader or someone famous who has been good at using inclusive language. And I'm thinking of Prince Harry, who set up the Invictus Games um, for disabled ex-servicemen and women. In one of his speeches at the opening of the Games, he highlighted what he called the invisible injuries that servicemen and women had to overcome. Uh, His exact words were, every single one of them will have confronted tremendous emotional and mental challenges. When we give a standing ovation to the competitor with the missing limbs, let's also cheer our hearts out for the man who overcame anxiety so severe he couldn't leave his house. Let's cheer for the woman who fought through post-traumatic stress and let's celebrate the soldier who was brave enough to get help for his depression. So often we think of the armed forces um, as being dominated by a macho culture, but Harry publicly addressed the mental toll of war as a matter to be taken seriously. And he was very inclusive and he talked about men and women in this. He's a great example of someone who's learned a lot about inclusive language from others' experiences and especially his wife. And, you know, you think of that Oprah Winfrey interview as a very good case in point. Yeah, it's a great example. Somebody who really thinks about their words, or at least did in that particular statement. And we learn from that as well. Absolutely. Uh, Can you think of any examples of where inconsiderate use of language has had a detrimental effect on an organisation or its staff? Yeah, in fact... Lots of times, uh, because we're all learning. But one, the significant one that I, I want to mention is when we are all very careful about how to make uh, people from underrepresented uh, groups feel included. And by doing that, we might inadvertently say something that appears more pejorative of the majority group. So, for instance, when we're talking about mansplaining or 
manalog. These are terms that are used. These are labels. They're used as weapons. They're used as an example to to stop something that that annoys us. But it's no better than using the term Karen or using the term Tiger Mom. These are also unwelcome labeled. So very, we have to be very, very careful in this. Yeah, it's so easy to use labels, and especially in the wrong way. You know that they they don't benefit us at all. So how do we become better at these behaviours? What tips and advice can you give to us today、uh, to improve in this area? Well, today's acronym is TESS. T-E-S-S. The T stands for think before you speak. So when you want to say something like "you should smile more," think about what actually you're conveying, and remember you're conveying your hidden biases. So they are not always apparent, but if you think before you speak, you might actually get to the rub of it. The second letter is E for empathize. Step into their shoes if it's possible. Try to see how your words would land if you were in their shoes, if you were in their position. Empathy, as we know, is a massive inclusive behavior, part of inclusion. S stands for using smart words. So by that I mean we need to understand the meaning of words. It's so often the case that we pick up an expression that we heard and we like, thinking we know what it means, but it doesn't always mean. Did you know, for instance, where the words that the term peanut gallery comes from? It, that's a reference to、uh, the the cheap receipts of vaudeville theatres that often were occupied by、um, black people. So when you're talking about You know、um, something、uh, from the peanut gallery. It's a racist term, actually. And similarly, Eskimo. Eskimo. We know we don't use that term anymore. But Eskimo it comes from a Danish word that translates to eater of raw flesh. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? So understanding the words we use is quite important. Smart words. And the second S is silence. Silence is golden. And that's about omitting certain words or phrases. So when I earlier said, you know, the phrase "How? Where are you from?" is something that conveys curiosity. I often say, "Why do you even have to ask that question? Just wait. If you're really curious about the person, have a conversation with them. Inevitably, nine times out of ten, the information that you're after will come out naturally, and you don't have to make them feel like they don't belong." But other phrases like、um, "our new female boss," why do you have to say "female"? Or "my gay best friend"? Does it matter whether they're gay or straight? So omitting certain words or not saying certain things at all can be equally as powerful. So there you go, Tess. Thank you, Rena. We've covered a lot of ground here, and I really hope our listeners feel empowered by what they've heard, and that they'll take away some great tips and advice that they can make use of. If you want to find out more about inclusive behaviours, or indeed Voice at the Table, why not take a look at our website, www.voiceatthetable.com, or drop Rena a line on rena at voiceatthetable.com. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast with Rena Goldenberg Lynch, CEO of Voice at the Table, being interviewed by me, Melissa Jackson. 
We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast on inclusive behaviours when we cover speaking out. 